tonight, if you will, please take your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. What we'll be discussing tonight is probably one of the most sought-after topics in all the Christian faith. I would say there's more books sold per year in Christianity circles uh, about this topic than any other. It's really such a simplistic topic, and yet we are the ones that complicate it. Notice, I want you to pay attention to this next statement. God could not make the Christian walk any easier. It's impossible. Walking with the Lord Jesus Christ could not be any more simple. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Luke chapter 24, the Bible says in verse 13... And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, we pick up right in the middle of the story, but if you understand what's going on, Jesus Christ has just been crucified, and now he has risen again on the third day. And so for Jesus to be joining the conversation, it's a little bit odd, to say the least. And so these men, they're walking to Emmaus, and Jesus jumps right in. Now, that would be no problem if Jesus hadn't died three days ago. But he died three days ago, and now we know early on Sunday morning he rose again. And so, verse 16 But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory, into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he set at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to them. 
and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask you to please bless the sermon tonight. Lord, we pray that you would bless every single word that proceeds from this pulpit. Lord, I pray that it would be so led by you and authored by you that you would completely hide me and speak through me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give me authority and wisdom to preach your word, and I pray that you would allow the hearers wisdom as they discern the word. Give them your Holy Spirit to help them understand it. Father, please meet with us now. We beg you in Jesus' name. Amen. I stated a few moments ago, I don't believe that God could make it more simplistic to walk with Christ than he has at this modern day. More books are sold over this topic of walking the Christian life. You go down to Cracker Barrel, and we were at Cracker Barrel the other day, and I even saw a Duck Dynasty devotional, How to Walk with the Lord as a Redneck. I'm ashamed to say I bought the book. <laughs> you know, I, 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 there are more devotionals sold. There are more uh, 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 books about how to live the Christian life more so than probably any other type of book in Christianity. I would say most people aren't buying uh, eschatology books or, or books on the end times. I would say that most people aren't buying books on the deity of Christ, although that'd be a great topic for any Christian to study. But I would say most books that are bought in Christianity are about how to walk the Christian life. Now, I don't know what it is about us, but we as humans always believe that the people that came before us had it easier than us. I don't know why. For instance, there's five things that must have been much easier when my dad was a kid than when we're kids. First of all, it must have been much easier to find one-way hills where he lived. Not only were they one-way hills, but it must have snowed a lot where he was from. Because he always said, oh, Andrew, I walked uphill to school both ways. Well, that wasn't very smart. How about you return the same route that you took the first time? It'd be easier the second time. It must be easier to find more one-way hills when he was a kid than when I was a kid. I don't know why, but it was easier for someone to own a super cool car when my dad was a kid. I mean, everybody... Everybody's first car when teenagers or kids now, it's like uh, El Caminos that are all beat up. You know, like Ecos or, or just these terrible cars that you can't even pronounce the name because they're so Japanese, not even the Japanese can pronounce the name. We all drive Kawasaki's now. My dad looks at the sweetest car at the car, at the car show down there. He says, Andrew... I used to own one like that. I'm like, Dad, that one won first in show. Yeah, mine was so much sweeter than that. That's how that happened. 
drove a Dodge pickup. You drove that, a Thunderbird? You know, I can't even remember what he said they were. He drove sweeter cars. And he tell me, oh, yeah, we all had cool cars. Well, not me or my teenagers because they all drive lame stuff. I got to go pick them up at Taco Bell, Matt Hodges. <laughs> you see, it must have been much easier to, to own a cool car back then. It also must have been much easier to find a watermelon patch. I'm not quite sure I've ever seen one. My dad talks about running in and stealing the farmer's watermelons. I say, man, I don't know very many farmers that are raising watermelons, Dad. I'd love to steal some. I just don't know where to go. (laughs) You see, I guess it would have been easier to find watermelon patches. Fourthly, I believe it was much easier to afford large quantities of hairspray. Have you ever seen a picture of your parents? The phrase, everything is bigger in Texas, originated from your mother's hair. I don't know why, but man, for some reason we used to poof them things out. It must have also been much harder to come by a mirror back then. Oh, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That one wasn't even on the list. Number five, it must have been much easier to hold an ugly sweater contest. I had an ugly sweater contest last year. I couldn't find one. I look at pictures of my parents. It's like everything they wore was perfect. I'm not trying to be mean to my parents. I, I, they're not even here tonight. That was already in the outline before I found out they weren't coming. But, uh, oh, there's Mom. Sorry, Mom. You didn't wear ugly sweaters, just Dad. And Bill Cosby. And Mr. Rogers. You see, I, I don't know what it is about us, but we all think that the generations before must have had certain things easier than we did. I'll explain it to you this way, in a biblical way. Why do we think it was easier for Adam and Eve to walk with God than it is us? Now, the Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the day, almost like he was right there with them. And I believe when they were in a perfect condition, he was. And so we think, though, that it was easier for them to walk with God than it is for us. As I stated earlier, and I stand by the statement, I don't believe it could be any more simplistic to walk with the Lord now than it ever has been. Why do we think that it was easier for Peter, uh, uh, Paul, uh, and the disciples to walk with Christ. I don't understand why. I mean, if you remember, John and Paul, uh, I'm sorry, John and Peter and James were on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, Christ literally shared campfires and shared meals with them. And for some reason, we have the idea that it was easier on them to have a relationship with Christ than it is us. I don't believe it is. For some reason, we forget about Moses and and we think Moses being able to talk to Christ in the burning bush, having tabernacle experiences where the presence of God falls down on the tabernacle while he's in it, where he goes up on Mount Sinai and, and God speaks to him and gives him the law of God and he comes down and his face is shining so that he has to veil his face so that others can't tell that he was in the presence of God and we think that he had it easier than us. He didn't. It is so simple to walk with God, and yet we confuse it. We make it difficult. But today I want to give you three steps to walking with Christ 
after the resurrection. Three steps to walking with Christ after the resurrection. First of all, I want you to notice tonight, it requires a spiritual mindset. Very simplistic. I don't have a lot of uh, uh, great deep thoughts tonight. First of all, in order to walk with Christ, it requires a spiritual mindset, which is missing in a lot of churches today. People don't think spiritually anymore. People don't desire spiritual things. Pastors fight the battle of seeing their members out on Tuesday night and Thursday night and Friday night doing things that are wicked and profane, while on Sunday and Wednesday they look sharp. You have to have a spiritual mind and understand the things of the Spirit. Flesh can't understand the Spirit, and really it wants nothing of the Spirit. We must be spiritually minded. I want you to notice two things about these men. First of all, they had a desire to know more about Christ. Verse 19, turn your attention to the passage, verse 19. Jesus appears to these men and and, and he says, what are you guys talking about? I mean, what's your conversation? Verse 19. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? I mean, hey man, did you just get here or something? Haven't you heard? Hast thou not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? So Jesus' question is, Hey, what are you guys talking about? Cleopas answers this. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You know why Christ was able to speak to these men? Because they were already speaking about Christ. Because they already had a desire to know the things of Christ. That Christ just died and is risen. These men find themselves on the way to Emmaus. Now, I don't know what they were going to do there. They could have been gone on a grocery trip for their wife. They could have been to go, they, their wife could have been pregnant. They could have been getting pickles and ice creams and onions and peanut butter. I don't know what they were doing, but they're on their way to a town not far away, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? They say, what everybody's talking about. Jesus. Let me ask you, what do you talk about? I mean, the folks closest to you in your life, do they ever hear Jesus of Nazareth conversations come out of your mouth? We have to have a spiritual mindset. And we have to desire to know more about Christ in order for Himself to reveal anything about Himself to us. We have to want it. Why are people not starving to know our Savior more? The Savior that came to this earth and the, the God of the universe that veiled himself in the form of flesh and man and he put upon himself the form of a servant, came and humbled himself to the death of the cross under our hand, 
for our sin and laid there on that cross that day in front of a bunch of men who were mocking and jeering and spitting on him and torturing him. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God of the universe, Romans 1, the invisible things of creation are clearly seen. Colossians 1, without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. That's him hanging there. Why won't we want to know more about him? He came for you. He came for our sins. So why don't we have more of a desire to get to know him as Savior, as friend? I don't understand it. The psalmist says, as the heart panteth for the water brooks, so my soul longeth after thee. He desired to know the living God of the universe. Can I say this, and I don't want to offend anybody in the room, but if you don't have a desire to draw closer to Christ, I doubt your salvation. I'm not judging your salvation. If you feel convicted by that statement, you're judging your own salvation. I'm saying that a desire to know the Savior who gave himself for you is only elementary and fundamental to a Christian. That's, that's little stuff, man. You say, Brother Andrew, I, I just don't find myself wanting to read my Bible. There's a problem. Brother Andrew, I just don't find time to pray. There's a problem. Because these men had just had an encounter with Christ. They're on their way to Emmaus. And he says, hey guys, what are you talking about? They say... Jesus! If I come to your workplace tomorrow and I say, Hey! Hey, church member! What are you talking about? They say, LeBron James. Whether or not we did or did not get Chandler Parsons, we definitely wouldn't be talking about the Rangers. That's right. Because... Tony Romo's still their quarterback last time I checked. You see, I'm concerned that we are becoming more like the world and not like uh, spiritually, but I'm talking about uh, mentally. We no longer focus on spiritual things and we're just so bogged down with SportsCenter and CNN and Fox News and the stock market and everything else in this world. And Jesus is saying, hey! What about me? NASDAQ didn't die for your sins. The Dow Jones didn't die for your sins. Jesus did. It is fundamental in a Christian's life that they would want to know the one who made them a Christian in the first place. We have to have a desire to know more about Christ. Now, let us not as a church forget about the Cone family who are on the mission field in Thailand. I'm thankful for their uh, faith to go that far. That's a long way. I appreciate their work while they were here, but man, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does for them over there. Many of you don't know that they listen to just about every sermon and service at this church almost every week. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned Whataburger in my sermon. Now, they have a lot of food in Thailand that is native to America, but one thing they don't have is Whataburgers. 
And if you know Brian at all, that guy loves him some food. Brian texted me immediately after the sermon, and he said something like, I could have probably preached that sermon better than you. Uh, and then he said, appreciate you mentioning Whataburger. I wish you would die. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Praying for you too, my friend. Just the mere mention of Whataburger uh, elicited in Brian's mouth saliva glands to begin to flow. He missed the A1 thick and hearty burger. He missed the uh, uh, steakhouse cheddar burger. He missed the taquitos. Or, and if you're a real spiritual Christian, he missed the bobs. And if you don't know what that stands for, that's a breakfast on a bun. Amen. And Whataburger has those. And that's how you know they're a Christian company. Not because they shut down on Sunday, because they don't shut down on Sunday for folks like you and me. we got to have that to get through Sunday, amen? Brian said, I can't believe you'd mention Whataburger. Just the mention of it made him want it. As I'm mentioning Christ tonight, does it make you want him? Does it make you want to have a more intimate, more deep, more meaningful, more impactful relationship with Him? It, it, it just makes sense for a Christian to want to know Christ and desire to know more about Christ. Secondly, a decision to accept Him as King. A decision to accept Him as King. Look in verse 21. These men are now explaining to Christ all that they thought about Him. Verse 21, notice this, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. You know why Jesus was able to meet these men that day? You know why Jesus was able to show up in their lives? Is because they had already trusted that he was their king. Don't miss that. Now, I understand we're talking about a different type of king here. I'm talking about a king of the spiritual realm. Jesus Christ did not come the first time to rule and to reign. He came to die for our sins. But the next time he comes, he will be king of kings. He will be lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. But these men are telling the story to Jesus and they said, He died, but you know... I had already trusted that it was him that was going to deliver Israel. He was going to be our king. He was our conqueror, man. He was our leader. And we were going to follow in his footsteps. You know why Christ can't deepen his relationship with you sometimes? is because we're not willing to do what he, listened, what he told us to do the last time. The first step in a Christian's life is salvation. The second is baptism. You see, there is no step three without step two. And I struggled this, with this myself for a long time. I was at Bible college three years before I obeyed the Lord in believer's baptism. Because at first the devil made it convenient because I got sick after youth camp. You know, when everybody else was here, I was sick. And it just kind of slid under the rug. I confessed it later on, and I told someone I needed to be baptized, and for some, I allowed it to just get swept under the rug again. Now, three years into Bible college, I've been saved now uh, uh, about 
eight years at this point, ten years, and I still have not trusted the Lord in believers' baptism. I'm out there studying to be called to preach, and I haven't trusted Him in the second step that He asks me to do. How could I ever take a third step? I say that to say this. If you have not trusted the Lord as your Savior, that's step one. But if you then have not followed in believer's baptism after you're saved, He's not going to allow you to take step three or step four or step five. Because Christ did it in order. He blessed baptism by His baptism. He showed us that it was the right way. It was the only way. People have bled and died for that name on our side. And I will be ashamed if I stand here and don't proclaim to you that baptism is necessary for a relationship with Christ. It's not necessary for entrance into heaven. Don't get me wrong. You you don't need to do that to get into heaven. Uh, If so, that's a work. And it was not of works of righteousness uh, that we have done, but by His blood He has saved us. Step two, baptism. So I encourage you, if you have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism after your salvation, take that step next. You know how good it would be to see some of y'all's faces up in that baptistry saying, hey, I've been doing this thing 20 years, but I'm ready to trust Him. That'd be awesome. Step three, submitting to Him as King. You see, that's why number two is so hard for a lot of us is because... It's almost like we don't want to do it exactly how he said. But when the king writes a royal decree, why would he change it? He told us the steps to take. Salvation, baptism, sanctification. He told us that we were to submit to him as our royal authority. These guys say, hey, we trusted that he was the one that would deliver us. You trusted to him, whatever he tells you to do, that's what you're going to do? You know why Brian and Jamie are in Thailand tonight? Not because of the climate. Not because of the cheap food, although that is there. Brian keeps sending me pictures of stuff. This fried chicken cost me 22 cents. I'm not sure that's FDA approved, Brian. What type of 22 cent chicken are you going to put in your mouth? It's because Brian and Jamie submitted to Christ as king. And although it was hard on friends and family to see them go, it was royal decree. What is the Lord telling you that you need to do that you aren't? Because until you've submitted to him as king, he can't tell you what to do because you're not going to do it anyway. We have to have a desire to know Christ, and we have to decide to accept Him as our King. It requires a spiritual mind. Secondly, I want you to notice, once we've done this, it provides a special mentor. When we decide to walk with Christ, it provides a special mentor. Look in verse 25. The Bible says, Then He said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and have to enter into, glo- into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the, cons- the things concerning Himself. Now what's so unique about this passage of Scripture is, these guys want to have that walk with Christ? You know who comes and talks with them? Christ. It wasn't their pastor. It was Christ. And I'm talking about a one-on-one personal relationship with Christ. Guess what? I can't help you walk that. And guess what? My daddy couldn't help me walk it. And even though I saw him do it, and even though I saw my mama do it, you know what? There came a day when I said, by God's grace, I'm going to do it. And every day I wake up, well, I say I wake up, that's kind of a cliche thing to do. I do it before I go to bed because I can't wake up in the mornings. Every evening I go to bed, I open my Bible and I behold wondrous things out of His law. And I meet with Christ, as Moses said, as face to face. Because He is the Word. I don't need a priest to help me through it. As much as I enjoy listening to Dr. J. Vernon McGee and his little country old farmer voice walking me through it, I don't need him. Because the Bible says this is not of any private interpretation. But this book came of old by holy men as the Holy Ghost moved them. David said that the Holy Spirit was so much that it was in his tongue as he pinned down the, the law of God, the word of God. You see, every day you have the opportunity not to meet with a preacher, not to meet with a priest, not to meet with a a pope. You have the opportunity to meet with Jesus Christ himself. It's a special mentor. It's a very special situation. I want you to notice this. Jesus now is walking these these men through this, how to walk with him. He's showing them that he was the Christ and he is the Christ. But notice his emphasis on Scripture. Look in verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What prophets is Jesus Christ speaking of? Later on we find in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures. Now let's think about this. Jesus Christ has just died on the cross. Amen? We know that for a fact. Now He's risen again the third day. Is there anything unique about Christ at this moment that was different before He died on the cross? Nail prints. In His side, He would still have the spear where it it plunged into His side. We know that they're still there for Thomas thrust His hand into them. But Jesus, going to prove himself as Christ, did not reveal his scars. Did not, did not open up his, his garment to show them his side. What did he do? He started at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Where the Bible says the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He then went on and he explained to them that he was who Psalm chapter 22 was talking about. 
He then went on and explained to them, guys, hey, I am Isaiah. I I am who Isaiah was speaking about. I am the one who would have to endure the chastisement of wicked men. It was me, guys. He doesn't show them scars. What does he do? He opens the word of God and explains it to them and shows them that he is the Christ. He places an emphasis on Scripture. Paul, wanting to encourage his little pupil, Timothy, as Paul is out on his missionary journeys, and Timothy is now pastoring a church, he writes to Timothy, and he, he, he makes sure he says, when I'm gone, give attendance to reading and doctrine and exhortation. What's he say? Hey, Timothy, the only way you're going to be an example to anybody is if you know the book of the law, you know the Word of God, and you explain the Word of God, and you live the Word of God. Timothy, when I'm gone and everybody else doubting you about your age, you just make sure that you're a man who's in the book and lives the book. If you'll do that, Timothy, everything else will take care of itself. Do you love the Word of God? The reason I say it's easier now to to live for Christ and walk with Christ than it ever was is uh, Peter says that he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And even though he was there, uh, 2 Peter 1 says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter beheld the the glory of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, I'm envious of y'all because y'all have the Bible. We don't need anything else to walk with Christ. I I don't mean to make fun of anybody, but I don't need Phil Robertson to walk me through the Bible. He may be a man of God, and I hope he is, but I have the book. I have the one who wrote the book. Oh, do you love God's Word? I don't know about you, but I love the King James Version of the Bible. You know why? Because it's special in its language. You ever heard somebody preaching out of an ASV and then they quote the KJV? You know why? Because the KJV is just powerful. It's just special. It's just something about those old words. When you understand them, they they just open up and intensify the beauty of the verse. Where our slang language is dumbing down the Bible. Oh, not King James. It's beautiful. Do you love the Bible? We have a more sure word of prophecy. It's special. I hope we do. I hope we love the word of God. Jesus didn't show them the nail prints. He didn't show them the scars. He said, hey guys, take your Bibles too. And every time I step up and I say, everybody please take your Bibles too. Or every time dad steps up here and says, Today we're going to be preaching out of, I hope that you understand you're not here to listen to a man scream and holler. You're not here to listen to me not knowing very much at all. Tell you how to live. You're listening to the Word of God that is profitable for doctrine and reproof and instruction and righteousness. The Word of God. And we have it. I love it. An emphasis on Scripture. Secondly, he expounded the Scriptures. Now, there's a difference between thinking the Scriptures are important than actually telling them about the Scriptures. Verse 27, the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. 
There's a special passage in Acts chapter 8 where Philip is uh, passing by a man and there's an Ethiopian eunuch up on the hillside and he's reading the book of Isaiah or Isaiah, the Bible says. And, and Philip runs to the eunuch and he says, Understandest what thou readest? And that man, that, that eunuch looks at Philip and he says, How can I except some man should guide me? Philip that day took the scripture of Isaiah and explained to him that Jesus Christ was the one it was speaking about and told him what the scriptures meant. And he expounded on the scriptures. Never forget how blessed we are to be able to meet tonight to have me scream at you. I say that kind of jokingly, but I mean there's people that don't have this freedom. And you don't need me to understand. You don't need me for you to understand the Word of God. But we're blessed to have the ability to meet and hear the Word of God preached. I didn't have to carry a backpack like I was going to English class and then take out my Bible in fear that the police would then bust through the door. This morning I was able to teach about 50 teenagers the Word of God free, open air, not ashamed of one simple thing. We're blessed. And although you may not need me to explain the scriptures to you, it sure is an awesome thing when somebody can take the word of God and show you something that you've never seen before. Amen. He expounded the scriptures and finally he explained the scriptures. Now there's a difference here. You see, because no matter if we meet tonight, if the spirit of God is not present, we could not understand the Bible. You say, what do you mean? You know why atheists don't quite understand why Genesis makes so much sense to us? It's because the Spirit of God's not helping them discern the things of the Spirit of God. There's no way they could understand how the, the waters of the deep were broken up and that the windows of heaven were open and the canopy of rain had, had been over the earth for all those years. And at one single moment... God sent the waters from the deep, all the rivers that flowed under, He sent them up, and He popped that big bubble, if you will, and those waters fell down, and then He sent a rain to add it all, and that water went over every single piece of land on the entire face of the earth, and they say, there's no way. I say, I know it for a fact. You know why? Because God has revealed that to me. I'm His child, and He wants me to have faith in Him, and He wants me to trust in Him. And so when I read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, I say, there's no problem believing that. Charles Darwin sit there, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I say, yeah, it wouldn't, would it? Because God reveals His Word to us. And you can... You can have somebody explain it to you until you're red in the face, but until you have the Spirit of God illuminating the Scriptures to you, in other words, shining the light on them so that it might reveal something to you, there's no way you could understand it. Psalm chapter 119 says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 looks at all the disciples and says, Who do men say that I am? 
And they say, oh, some say you're Elias, some say that you're uh, uh, Jonas, uh, some say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Simon, Simon Peter looks at Jesus Christ and he says, I know that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. You know what Jesus says? Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but the Father which is in heaven. In other words, there was something unique about the revelation Peter had had. It wasn't understood through fleshly eyes. It was understood through the illuminating hand of the Spirit of God. You need to understand the Bible. You say, I just don't understand it when I read it. How about you ask for God's help understanding it? There's no way I could open a calculus book and begin to understand that except I had a teacher to show me. The Bible says when Jesus would depart, he would send the comforter, and he'd be able to guide us into all truth. He's our teacher. He's our guide. So use his help when you're walking through the word of God. He expounded the scripture, and he explained the scripture. Finally, I want you to notice with me, when we've walked with the Lord and when Jesus Christ has showed himself to us, it leaves us in a surprising mood leaves us in a surprising mood. Look in verse 29. Now, Jesus, uh, they draw nigh to the village, whither they went, verse 28, and he made as though he would have gone further. So in other words, Jesus said, okay, boys, this isn't my final stop. I'm just going to keep on going. Verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So Jesus says, all right, guys, it's it's our time. It's done. Sorry, the bell's rung. I'm just going to keep walking through town. You boys take your stop here. I'm headed on. And they say, no, 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 abide with us. Let's keep talking about what we've been talking about. Don't miss this. When we've met with Christ, we'll have a desire to stay. We'll have a desire to stay. You see, the reason I don't, I don't read my one proverb a day and just walk on is because that ain't enough. And if you ever read, uh, uh, read through Proverbs 12 times in one year, you begin to kind of get it. You kind of become familiar with it. So you continue to search the wondrous works of the Word of God and how unique things that you've never seen before, like we talked about the folding of the napkin last week, something new, something special, and God will reveal those things to you. And I just believe when we spend a little time with Christ, we'll want to spend a little bit more. How busy we are. Man, we're so busy. We wake up in the morning, we have our schedules planned out, and yet there's no time to squeeze God in. What a shame. What a shame that we're trying to squeeze the one in who did more than squeeze us in. Make sure you wake up in the morning, you go to bed tomorrow night. Make sure that you spend some time with God. Because we have a special mentor. 
We have the Lord Jesus Christ wanting to reveal himself to us in a fresh and new way. And if you start that journey, guess what's going to happen? You'll want to take that journey farther. These men did. It was immediate. They said, no, 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 don't leave us. We want you to stay. It will have a desire to stay. Secondly, there will be a difference in our sight. Look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. This is why I say it was easier now to walk with Christ than it was. Because even when Jesus was in their presence, they had no clue who he was. As soon as they recognized him, he vanished and they said, Did not our hearts burn within us? You know why Jesus vanished immediately after they knew who he was? Because the Bible tells us we walk by faith, not by sight. They knew who he was. There was no reason for him to hang around any longer. Bodily presence meant nothing to them now because they had had a meeting with the Lord of Lords. And he met with them as face to face. And they say, okay, now we know who you are, Jesus vanishes. Because they're walking by faith now. They don't need sight. One of my favorite lines in all the hymnals we sing is, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. I can't wait till I see my Savior and everything that I've believed and everything that I've known for so long will be revealed to me with these old fleshly eyeballs. I can't wait for that day. But guess what? I already know it. I know it just as sure as you're sitting in that pew tonight that my Lord still loves me. I know just as sure as you're sitting in that pew tonight that he came and he died for me. I don't need him to come in some cloud. I don't need him to to reveal himself at the foot of my bed. You know why? Because my sight deceives me. My faith won't. A couple years ago, I was hunting. I tell a lot of hunting stories. I'm sorry for you people that love hunting or hate hunting. I'm sorry. But I tell some hunting stories. I was out hunting one year and, and uh, this deer walked in. It was getting pretty dark. And I remember him sitting at my feeder and, you know, you get the shakes because you're excited. And he was only about 23 yards from me and I could see his rack. I could tell that it was real nice and I drew back on that deer and I shot and that arrow hit him and he fell down. That's unique because normally deer don't fall when you hit them with an arrow. And they, he ran off. And, and, and so at that point, you're, you're, you're left with a decision to make. Do I track the deer now thinking that my shot was good enough to kill him very fast? Or do I wait and let time take its course and so let that deer die? We elected because of the heat, so to not let the uh, meat ruin because of the heat, and not let the coyotes get that deer, that we decided to track that deer that night. We began to track, and we found good blood. We found good blood. I'm not trying to gross anybody out, but we found good blood, found good blood. And I shoot what's called luminox. In other words, the end of my arrow glows. It's lighted. And so when I release that arrow, I can tell where I hit that deer. Well, 
I look up from tracking this deer, and I see an arrow walking through the woods. I said, that ain't good. And so we, I, I, we tried everything we could do that night to find that deer. We couldn't find him. We, we went back to the house. Now we've made the decision we're going to wait till in the morning because chances are uh, we won't find that deer tonight. If we have any chance at all, we're going to find him tomorrow. We go back to the exact same spot. I saw that arrow walking through the woods. So it was either a ghost or the deer I shot. I'm not sure. But we, we never find another drop of blood. We never find the deer. Fast forward to a year later. Last year, my parents were out at the ranch doing some work, uh, uh, filling feeders, and, uh, and they're probably just on a date, to be honest. They don't really actually work ever. Uh, but, but they're out there at the ranch, and they're doing work, and my mom sees something as they're driving under my stand. The deer that I had shot, once we scared him up, circled back around and died within 40 yards of the place I shot him. We found him a year later. The only bad thing is I had been telling everybody how big this deer was. I, I called all my hunting buddies, you know, hey guys, you won't believe what I saw. Oh, big horns walking through the woods. Mom sent me a picture, and she's holding the rack like this. <laughs> that night, I thought I was shooting old Muy Grande, man. Boone and Crockett. Turned out to be Boone and Cricket. My eyes deceived me. But when the Lord reveals something to your faith and reveals something to your spirit, you can rest assured that it's real. And the reason I don't have to doubt whether my Savior lives, reigns, and will reign forevermore is because He showed me that through His Word. And I just don't have a single doubt in the world about it. Our, our, our sight sometimes is a little shaky, sometimes it's a little confusing, but our faith is what we live by. And when we make a decision to meet with Christ, He'll change our sight. Finally, I want you to notice this. It will drive us to spark. Now, this is probably my favorite verse of this entire story. Verse 32. Jesus now has just vanished. He's shown them who he was. He's revealed himself to them. He said, hey, guys, I'm the one in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Hey, guys. I'm the one who was representative of Moses raising the serpent in the wilderness. Hey, guys, I'm the one who Joseph was a type of. Hey, guys, I am the one. And then look in, in verse, 30, uh, uh, verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the Scriptures? These gentlemen got a case of holy heartburn. They had met with God. God had done something great in their lives. And they said, the only term that I have to describe that went on was burning. Not like Elvis would describe, oh, oh, oh. not like that. 
They said, when we met with Christ, it burned within our heart that what he was saying was real. That what he was saying was true. I'm concerned about the state of churches today. You know why I'm concerned? Because there's a whole lot of fizzle and very little flame. I'm concerned because altars used to be full. Now they have signs over them saying vacant. I'm concerned because our eye used to shed a tear when we heard songs sung about our precious Lord and Savior. When the Rochesters came and sang, and did I mention that I love Him? Uh, I just don't know how that couldn't bring a, a, a tear to your eye. I don't know how singing praises unto our God wouldn't make us weep. I don't know how knowing that there's people on the outside of this building lost and on their way to hell wouldn't, make, wouldn't affect us, wouldn't make us weep for their lost soul. I don't know how our, our eyes are dry. I don't know why our tongues are so tied that we can't tell someone about the gospel that impacted us and changed our life. I don't know why, but I'm concerned. Because if we were flaming, if we were on fire for God, people would come and watch us burn. People would come to see what's up. People would come and say, hey, what's going on over there? Oh, Johnny, he's just different. He's on fire. Too much fizzle, not enough flame. Some of you think that the first time I ever sang publicly was in church. But I don't really think it was. I remember when I was in Godly Elementary, they had a singing competition. And it was in our choir time. And I forget the teacher's name. But I know what she looks like. She was a, a nice lady. But they had us all come forward and sing. And it was a contest to see who would get to sing in front of everyone at the special event. Well, me and a girl by the name of Kelly Clarkson won. I think it was pity on my part. I don't know what the teacher was thinking, but Kelly actually really could sing. And so they had us revealing, I don't know, I guess like our first grade class, they had us revealing a sign in Godly telling or indicating how bad the fire danger was that day. If you've ever driven on 171, right before you get to Del Norte, which is the only good thing in Godly these days, <laughs> amen, just go ahead and say amen. If you ain't been, you need to go because that, that place is rocking good. Sorry, Brian Cohn, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've ever been down 171, if you're headed towards Crescent, away from Cleburne, you look over to the right, before you get to the, I think there's two stoplights in Godland now, it may only be one, but I think there's two. If you look over there to the right, there's a sign that has old Smokey the Bear on it, okay? And right there in the sign, it says, fire danger today, extremely high. The other day I was driving through there right after we'd gotten four inches of rain. It's coming down extremely high. Really? It'd be kind of tough to start a fire in this weather. I don't think they change it quite as often as they should these days. But we had the opportunity to sing. And I remember me and Kelly got out in front of everybody. And I don't even really know what we sang. Probably fire, fires are no fun. 
fire, fires hurt someone. I don't know what it was. That sounded more like a cheer than a song. Give me a break. I made that up on the spot, okay? And I don't remember what the song was, but they allowed us to sing, and, and we unveiled that sign, and it was a great, glorious day. Right there on the side of it, old Smokey the Bear. Now, how many of you know who Smokey the Bear is? Most people. Do we all know what his phrase is? It's got, he's got one phrase he says all the time. If you know what his phrase is, go ahead and say it with me. Only you can prevent forest fires. Right? Don't we know that phrase? Old Smokey the Bear encouraging us not to start a forest fire. Now, if you look deep into that phrase, that's not really true. Because I've never started one, and yet they seem to be happening pretty frequently. But what he's trying to say is, each and every one of us, individually, are responsible to not start flames. Let's flip that to Christianity. Only you can prevent fervent fires. It's on you. Individually. I mean, it's your deal. See, nobody else can walk the Christian life for you. But if you choose not to walk, make sure you know you're the one stopping the flame. See, there's a lot of truth in old Smokey's phrase. You are responsible to allow Jesus Christ to burn in your heart and burn in your soul so much that it's an uncontrollable inferno that pours out on all those around you. Only you 